Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. It says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into our world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Thank you, Jaden, for that. We're going to spend some time now reflecting on Christ's sacrifice for us in this uh, Good Friday service. Uh, at the outset, I won't, just want to give you a, a heads up. We are going to be celebrating communion towards the end of my sermon. And so you're going to want to make sure that you have uh, communion elements close to you uh, where you can uh, grab them quickly. So you may want to go gather them right now. could be the elements that you picked up uh, at the church earlier this week or whatever you have at home. If you have some bread and some juice, that can work just fine as well. But just make sure uh, they're handy. Uh, in the next little while. Have you ever had the awkward experience of being somewhere, maybe you're in a store or in a parking lot, and you see someone and they look kind of familiar to you, but you're not exactly sure who they are? Uh, this is a bit of an occupational hazard for me because uh, I make a lot of connections through ministry, and so uh, I often see people and I'm, I'm not exactly sure if they are who I think they are. And uh, hey, if this has happened to you and you've seen me and I've kind of looked at you and I'm not really sure who you are, uh, forgive me for that. It's, uh, it's something that uh, is a product of my poor memory. I even do this with people that I know uh, reasonably well. I remember once uh, when Diane and I were living back in Edmonton, and uh, we were in a parking lot uh, at Home Depot, and I saw this fellow who was standing by uh, his car, and the car was getting hoisted up by a tow truck and was about to get taken away, and I was looking at this fellow, and I, he looked familiar, but I just couldn't be sure if it was who I thought it was. I was approaching him from the back, and so I you know, I could see his bald spot, and I could see kind of the shape of his head, and that looked all fairly familiar, but I still wasn't sure. So I said to Diane, you know, is this so-and-so? And, and she wasn't sure either. And then I got a little bit closer, and I, I looked at him from the front, and he still looked somewhat familiar, but I wasn't sure. It wasn't until I got about 20 feet away from him that he looked up, and he looked at me, and I realized it was, in fact, a fellow that I worked with, actually, uh, back in the church in Edmonton, and his car, obviously, it had some trouble, and it needed to be towed away. We may have trouble recognizing people, uh, but it doesn't just happen, this, this problem with recognition, uh, just with people. Uh, it may be other things that are right in front of us that we don't recognize 
uh, right away. One author by the name of Wiseman uh, gives the example of a team of 3M researchers uh, who are trying to develop a really strong, powerful adhesive. And they ran their experiment and it appeared to be a complete failure. The glue that they came up with was actually the, the exact opposite, it was very low strength uh, adhesive. But one person on the team recognized it as an opportunity when everybody else thought it was uh, a dismal failure. And that glue ended up being used uh, on the back of what we know as uh, our post-it or our sticky notes. These are fairly innocuous examples. Uh, you know, our life is not going to change much if we fail to recognize one person or even a product uh, that can go to the marketplace. But what happens when we fail to recognize spiritual realities? What happens if we get so fixated on the everyday things of life that we fail to see what is spiritually important? Spiritual realities are a big deal. And I'm convinced that we all encounter such realities every day, but we miss a lot of what is happening. And that is uh, never more true than at a time like Easter, uh, when our, our days are filled with things like the Easter bunny and Easter eggs and family dinners, and, and all of that is, is great. It's all a lot of fun. But at the heart of the Easter weekend are spiritual realities that are literally life and death for the human soul. And we need to make sure that we recognize that and don't miss them. Today I want to spend a brief time uh, in the first epistle of John looking at this issue of recognizing spiritual realities. John wanted his readers and the people that he was writing to to be aware of certain things that, that all too many people miss uh, around this time, and even during the Easter season, and even on Good Friday, that day that we mark and remember Christ's great sacrifice for us. Now, we're looking at a text that's not usual for Good Friday, but I think it fits for what I want to emphasize today, and uh, you would have heard Jaden read that text just a moment ago, and again, it's found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. In verse 1, John notes that there are spirits, other than the Spirit of God, active in our world. There are true prophets who are guided by the Spirit of God. And then there are false prophets who are guided by falsehood or the spirit of the Antichrist. And so behind every prophet or teacher, there is a spirit. And behind every spirit, there is either God or the devil. And both of them are active. And what this tells me is that there is a spiritual conflict that is raging, and we need to be watchful and aware that we are right in the middle of it. It's easy for us to forget this. We live in a very scientific, technological culture, and everything that we see around us has a physical cause and effect, or at least that's, that's the way we think. We put gas in the car, and we turn on the ignition, and it moves forward because we know the cylinders are firing, and that's moving the pistons, and that's getting the car uh, to move. There's a science at work, and even though we can't see everything that's happening, we know that there's a scientific explanation for it. 
Similarly, I may be at home and I'll turn on a light switch and the light comes on. Now, I've never seen electricity. Well, I guess I have if I've seen lightning or if I see a spark. Well, usually if I see electricity, it's not a good thing uh, at home. But once we turn that light, that light switch on, the electricity flows in some ways, and even though I can't see it, I know something physical is happening there. There's a, there's a scientific explanation for it. Now, there are spiritual things, though, that we often fail to see. And the irony of it is that as believers, sometimes we're the last ones to think about that, the, the reality of the spirit world and spiritual forces. Let me ask you, the last time you faced a crisis in your life, how much thought did you give to the idea that an opposing spiritual force may have been present in your struggle? We need to not forget that our world is a battleground between God and spirits that are intent on opposing him. It's a conflict much like the conflict that we saw between these opposing teachers that John talks about uh, in his letter. And our lives are a part of that battleground. The war seeps into every fabric of our lives, and there is a sense in which we are the prize in the midst of that. And we need to remember that whatever happens in life is not just the product of physical forces, but the spiritual world is involved as well. And so the question for us today is, are we ready for this spiritual battle? Have we gone to Jesus and asked him for the spiritual resources and the ability to fight well in this spiritual contest? Joseph's son was a Romanian pastor and educator uh, who suffered terribly under the communist regime in his country before the Iron Curtain fell. And uh, in a sermon he recalled one time uh, how he had suffered a particularly nasty bout of interrogation under the communist authorities. And uh, after he had undergone that, uh, he had been very discouraged, but he met with the Lord. And as he reports, the Lord had helped him to understand what was happening and had strengthened him. The next week, the interrogator came back, the same one, and he looked at Son and he said to him, you know, somehow you, you seem different. You're not the same man that I left uh, last week. I need to know, who was it that visited you? Why are you different this week? And Son's reply was, well, Jesus visited with me and made me ready for the battle again. The cross of Good Friday is a stark reminder that a spiritual battle rages on. Satan was undoubtedly attempting to destroy Jesus that faith, fateful day long ago. His temptations didn't work. His strategies through his followers didn't work. Physical destruction, I'm sure, was kind of all that he had left. And yet Jesus still won the victory, and we're going to celebrate that in just a couple of days. But for now, Good Friday reminds us that we are in a fight, a spiritual fight, and we need to get ready for it. Now, how do we recognize the activity of these opposing spiritual forces and which ones we should follow? 
That's what John talks about a little bit in the verses that come next. And he gives us some ideas about how we can be discerning in the midst of the battle. In this passage, John is talking about how these evil spirits manifest themselves in the teaching of particular individuals. Most likely, he's referring to contemporary teachers who were preaching a type of faith that had little to do with following Jesus Christ. Their teachings seemed to include content that denied who Jesus really was, and more specifically, that denied that he had actually come to earth to die for sin. They refused to believe that Jesus was the incarnate Christ or the Son of God. And when John refers to these spirits, he talks about them failing to acknowledge or to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And when he talks about that, and when he uses that language, he's not just talking about the spirits identifying or recognizing who Jesus really was. It's more than that. There's a very interesting exchange in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21, where Jesus encounters a man uh, in Capernaum when he enters the synagogue. And one of the men of the synagogue comes to him, and Scripture tells us that he is possessed by an evil spirit. And the spirit speaks through this man, and he cries out to Jesus, What do you want with us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now that's actually a pretty accurate description of who Jesus really is. And so this evil spirit knows exactly who Jesus Christ is and what his identity is. But the idea here is that he has failed to acknowledge or confess him. In other words, he has failed to, to place a trusting faith in him and to affirm him as the incarnate Lord of his life. This is a key test for us, and it's one that we can use to be discerning by asking this question. When we're looking at a teaching or we're watching something or we're listening to someone, we want to pay attention to what that speaker is doing with Christ. Does the teaching bring honor to who Jesus really is? Does the voice reflect a heart that is surrendered to Christ as Lord? Jesus is the litmus test. He is everything. Everything hinges on him. And what we do needs to be measured by who he is. You may, you may remember in science class, I'm not sure if they still do this, but they did, they did this when I was in high school, where they used to use uh, litmus paper in order to test whether a particular liquid was an acid or a base. And so the way the test went was, if you had a, 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 a pink piece of paper and you put it in the liquid or, and it turned blue, then that was a base. And if you had a blue piece of paper and you turned it in, or you put it in the liquid and it turned red or pink, then that was an acid. The paper was able to tell you exactly what you had. And Jesus is for us spiritually a little bit like that, that litmus paper. We measure everything by what people say about him and whether or not their words and their teaching draw people to him as the true Lord and Savior, the Son of God who has come to die for us, or whether their words push us away from him. And the implication on this Good Friday is that we remember that litmus test. Ask ourselves, do the comments that we're listening to, do the things that we hear, do the activities that we participate in properly reflect 
the reality of who Jesus is. This Son of God come in the flesh to die for us. Do they celebrate this greatest truth of truths that Jesus surrendered himself on the cross in order to make forgiveness possible? If they do, then we can be sure that they are from God. And those are things we want to listen to and take in because they affirm exactly what the cross makes plain to us, that Jesus is the Savior come to die for you and for me. In the few final verses in our passage, we see John is writing to those who seemingly have overcome the deceptions of these false teachers and prophets. They have found victory, and they have not been taken in by the lies and the falsehoods. And this may explain why a little bit earlier in the letter, in chapter 2, verse 19, John talks about how uh, the antichrists, as he calls them, have left the church. And I'm, I'm reading into that, that they've left because the people have listened to their message and they have rejected it and they have moved on. Now the key to the people's victory in these verses, though, is not their superior intellect, it's not their great character or their high virtue, all of which may have been present. Ultimately, John says that they have overcome because they have the true spirit of God, and that spirit is greater than the ones who oppose him. It's the spirit of God that leads us into a correct understanding of doctrine. He is the one who illumines our minds and makes it possible for us to grasp the truth of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we know everything. There are going to be questions that I'm sure will not be answered, theological questions that will remain a mystery uh, right until Jesus' return. But what John has in mind, what he wants to say here, is that in this, this key doctrine, this central truth, we can know that we have the truth, that Jesus is the Son of God, come in the flesh, the one who gave his life for us on the cross because of the Spirit of God's work within us. And on this Good Friday, we need to recognize this reality and rely on God and His power to grasp His truth and what it, was, what it is He wants us to understand. We need God's help with this. And in this sense, we need to have a holy desperation for Him, knowing that the victory is won by Jesus on the cross but recognizing that we have no power to understand it or to apply it in our lives or to live it or to share it with someone else apart from the spirit of God's work and apart from God's help in that. So today I want to ask, how desperate are you for him? Do you realize that you are in a desperate struggle for souls, including your own? Do you agree that these spiritual forces are all around opposing God at every turn and wanting to draw us away from him? And do you see that the answer for us lies in Jesus and in the power that God supplies to us for life? We need to be desperate for him. The cross reminds us of that. I remember hearing the story of a fellow by the name of Neil Melly. Melly wanted to get on a plane. He was 
boarding, um, trying to board at Los Angeles International Airport, and he wanted to catch a plane for Australia. But on this particular day, for some reason, his credit cards weren't working, he couldn't make the payment, and so they turned him away and refused to let him get on the plane. A few hours later, he returned to the airport. But this time, he basically ignored all the protocols of getting on a plane. He stripped off all of his clothes. He climbed a fence, which happened to be uh, protected with several layers of barbed wire. He got, somehow he got past that. He got onto the tarmac of the, of the airport, of the runway, and he ran towards a plane that actually was in motion and taking off. And somehow he managed to catch it and crawl into the wheel well where he tried to hide so he could catch a ride to Australia. Now, that was a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, he could have been sucked up uh, in an engine. Um, he could have uh, been crushed by the landing gear when he got pulled up into the plane. He could have frozen to death because the flight to Australia is 15 and a half hours long uh, and at 30,000 feet is pretty cold up there. And if you don't have any clothes on, um, that would not be a pleasant ride. Now, I'm not recommending that we deal with our frustrations at the airport the way Melly did. I don't know why he did what he did. I don't know why he took all his clothes off. I have no idea why he did that. But there is something compelling in this illustration. There, there is a sense in which we need to approach God the same way Melly approached and ran for that plane. We have nothing to offer. We are, we are naked before God. And all we have to offer is ourselves, desperate and ready to run to him for our answers and our help. I want to invite you to come before God right now in precisely this spirit, because I think this is the spirit of Good Friday. Some of us are facing struggles that we've never imagined. Some of us have relied on our own power to do that. Some of us may be just beginning to realize that our strength is just not going to do it. We need God. You need Jesus. And you need to come to God and realize that you approach him with empty hands, with nothing to add other than to receive what he has to give. It's all him. Now, it's customary for us to observe communion on Good Friday. And so I'm going to ask you to get your communion elements ready at this point. Communion is a time when we remember Christ's sacrifice, the, the very sacrifice that is marked on Good Friday. The message of communion is the message of the passage we've been reading, mainly that there are spiritual realities at work and we need to realize that our answer lies in Jesus. God's word tells us that we are all sinners. We all, as Paul says in Romans, fall short of the glory of God. There is something less than the holy standard of God in every one of us. Wrong actions, wrong thoughts, wrong motivations, the list is long. We are not perfect, we are fallen. And because of that, and because God is holy and cannot leave sin unaddressed, 
every one of us has this great need to find some answer for this sin problem that we all possess. This sin that separates us from a holy and powerful creator that is God our Father. We need an answer for that. Lest we face a Christless eternity in hell apart from God. We couldn't manufacture the answer ourselves, and so God the Father sent his Son to be offered as a sacrifice for us on the cross, as payment for our sin, so that we might be forgiven and enter into a relationship with God by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him and in his perfect work on the cross. Spiritually, we are all homeless, freezing in the dark, lost and without hope, but Jesus beckons us home from the cross. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. The scripture makes it clear that we cannot earn our way to heaven or attain forgiveness on our own. It's a gift that we can only receive from the one who died to be our Savior and Lord. Paul wrote in Romans 5, verses 6 to 8, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's glory. It's his answer for us. It is his blessing that is available to you and I if we would but receive it. So we come in communion today to give thanks for that great gift and Christ's great sacrifice. Now, communion is really for those who have made the decision to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. It's for those who acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior. And Scripture tells us that if we don't know Christ, it's best for us to, to wait until we're ready to say that and to profess faith in Him. But let me say this. If, if you have yet to make that decision of faith, I want to encourage you to make that choice right now. Some of us watching here maybe have never heard about Jesus in this way. Some of us may have not realized until this very moment that we are powerless to save ourselves, to have the promise of heaven. We need Jesus' help. Maybe some of us watching here have just now seen the need to repent from our sin. We've seen the error of living in our own strength, never giving God much thought, maybe even getting mad at him or discouraged, wondering where he was even though he really was there all the time. You may have wanted your strength to be enough and never bothered to include God, and now you see the need to repent and to ask him in as your Savior. If that is you, I want to encourage you to make this moment, the moment you, that you acknowledge your sin and helplessness before God and pray to invite him in. If that is what you'd like to do, then just pray along with me as I pray this prayer.
Lord Jesus, I need you. I acknowledge my sin before you and want to repent and turn from it. I am lost without you. But I see now that you are the Son of God, come to die for my sin. And I claim that forgiveness and give my life to you now. Come into my heart, take my life, give me the strength to follow you all my days. I give myself to you in faith and by your grace, praying all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have just prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to let us know. Uh, we'd love to pray with you and help you as you begin your life of faith. And so if you happen to be watching us live, uh, you can click the request prayer button in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, and that will open up a private chat, and you can have a conversation with uh, one of our pastors. Or if you're watching this video at another time, just send us an email or contact contact us at the church, and uh, we would love to talk with you further about this incredible decision that you've made. Now, for those of us who have already made this choice, uh, you may be realizing something else right now. You may be appreciating afresh that God does not meet us in our strength. He comes to us when we are desperate before him, when our hands are open to receive the strength that he wants to give us. Right where you are right now, you may want to acknowledge your desperation before him and give yourself to him. The battle is great, and we're all in the thick of it, but we belong to him if we know Christ. Surrender your strategies and let his strength be yours for the battle. Some of us may just be realizing now that we're at the end of ourselves. We feel the desperation because we've been trying to live it for a long time and it's not working. We've struggled, but the problem that we have won't go away. We just can't seem to get past it. That question of faith that hounds us is still there. That doubt remains. That uncertainty haunts us. That fear is always with us. And for whatever reason, we have not asked God for the answer. Maybe we're afraid of what his answer will be, but now we're, we're realizing that he is really the only answer we have. Ask him for his help right now. Some of us may have failed in some way. Some of us may be burdened today with a huge mistake that we just don't know where to go with it. The guilt weighs us down. It's almost too much for us to bear. We want to fix it, but we don't know how. We can't manufacture a solution. And we can't find our way to forgiveness because we know it doesn't come from ourselves. We need the forgiveness that only God can provide. If that's you, then I encourage you to ask God for that now as well. I want to encourage us all this Good Friday to live the truth of the cross. Jesus is our answer and our hope, our only hope. We want to let our souls depend and look to nothing else. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that though we deserved it not, still you came to die for us, to suffer the humiliation and the agony of the cross 
so that we might have hope. Thank you for your great sacrifice. Forgive us when we live as if our power is the answer. Forgive us when we have failed to trust in you and your grace and your mercy to be enough. Be that rescue for us now, whatever our need might be. We surrender our need and our lives to you and ask that you would work in us. Help us to know you as the one true shepherd of our souls. We know you will not fail us or turn us away. And so we give you thanks for what you will do. We come to you and trust in you as our answer in all things. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your communion elements now. The first of these is the bread. The bread symbolizes Jesus' body given for us on the cross. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember. The second element is the cup, symbolic of Christ's blood shed on the cross for us. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not hesitate to offer up your Son on our behalf. What can we say in the face of so great a gift? Really nothing except thank you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you, Jesus, for your great sacrifice. Help us now to live as those who have been bought at a great price. Nothing less than the life of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of our souls. And help us to live it in the power that only you can provide, moment by moment, day by day, until that day we go to meet you or you return for us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.